Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Yeah, I like it. I like it. So glad to see you today. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors around here at LifePoint. And man, if you're a guest with us today, and especially if this is your first time, thank you uh, so much. I know there's a lot going on. March Madness is happening. Your brackets are busted, if you're like me. I did really good the first day, and then it all fell apart after that. Um, didn't win any money. I don't know if I was trying to win any money. I didn't sign up to win any money, but, you know, just in case somebody wanted to give me some money, I didn't get it. Anyways, I don't know what all is that about. But anyways, we're so glad you're here. And uh, again, I hope you felt warmly welcomed when you came in, got some coffee. Uh, thanks again so much for being here. I got to talk to the folks who this is your home for just a second. Life points your home. Uh, Easter is in four weeks. I know that you probably haven't been thinking about it the way we do, but like if you work around a church, if you're part of the Christian world, then it's the Super Bowl and it's coming in four weeks. You know what I'm saying? Anybody's, nobody's like, I don't care, bro. It's still just you know another day, but not for us. Uh, anyways, um, and here's why it's not another day for us. First of all, it's celebrating the greatest day in history, right? I'd say the greatest two days in history. Uh, Good Friday, which is when Jesus died, and it wasn't his best Friday, but it, because of what he did for us, it was our best Friday. And then he rose again from the dead to give us life and life more abundantly. And so we celebrate that, and, and Easter's the day that we go. We, do, we celebrate that all the time, but Easter's the day we're like, like woo, you know what I'm saying? And, and then we have rabbits and, and, and eggs. I, I don't know what that's about, but it's fun and awesome. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Uh, candy and stuff. We, uh, we find a way to make candy about everything. Uh, anyways, um, so um, just real quick, um, we're going to do our schedule this year, and, and this is four weeks from today, and I want to give you plenty of time. Friday, Good Friday, we don't, we've never had a, uh, at least an Easter service on Good Friday, but we are. It's going to be the same services that we do the other f- four times, um, but ex- with the exception that on Good Friday, um, we're going to take communion together, and we're going to extend our worship set, meaning, you know, like on Sundays, we have to kind of go get through stuff. On Good Friday, we're just not going to do that. It doesn't mean we're going to have two hours long. It just means that we're going we're gonna to hang out and we're going to spend some time, um, particularly at the end, just kind of worshiping God together. That's on 7 o'clock on Good Friday so that everybody can get off of work that's at work. Um, Saturday at 5 o'clock right here again. And then Sunday, our normal schedule. And here's what, here's what I'm asking those of you who are life pointers. Like this is your church. Even if you're not currently on our volunteer team, which we call the Dream Team. Dream Teamers! Woo! Yeah. Um, even if that's not you, we're going to ask you um, to consider, especially if this is home for you, to, to go all in for Easter. Can we see that real quick? Uh, all, uh, or sorry, not all in. In for Easter. Uh, text that to that number on the screen here, and, you're, and that's just you saying, hey, like, I'll serve. I'll jump in. Even though I normally can't, my schedule won't permit, on that weekend I will. And what we'd love for you to do is come on Friday or Saturday or both if you want to, um, if this is home, and then come serve. Like, soak it all in on Friday, soak it all in on Saturday, but come to serve on Sunday. Um, like, some of you have already texted us, hey, I'll serve all three services. Put me wherever you want. And man, that means so, so much. Because we're going to join together as a team to see the most people in our history on one weekend come to Jesus. That's what's going to happen. And that's what we're inviting you to. That's what we're saying. Go all in with us for because, yeah, thanks for that nice hand clap. But like, let's get fired up, right? Come on, y'all. Let's get fired up because it's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be life-changing for a lot of people, and we're going to ask you to jump in and, and do that with us. So we're going to put some resources in your hand, some invite cards next Sunday, uh, a little website that we're creating just for you to share that's going to have all the information, uh, some, some artwork that you can post to social media th- there as well. We're doing mailers this year. We're going crazy with it and because we want to see God move in the lives of so many, many people. And also, um, 
by the way, uh, those of you who know this, we are, you know, I'll say this for the end. I'm going to preach. Can I just preach now? Is that all right? Uh, Jordan and Manu Coleman were here. They're, they're from uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. They're here checking us out this weekend, hanging out with us. So thank you guys. And her name is Manu, y'all. You know what I'm saying? I almost tweeted out yesterday, we're going to have Manu at church. Um, I knew they would pack the place out and then people would be like, where is he? You know what I'm saying? There she is. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, love that. All right. We're, we're in a series uh, called Chapter and Verse. And the idea of the series is that we're just taking some some passages, at least in, when I'm up here speaking uh, during this series, that are super meaningful to me um, and in some way have been foundational in the way that I've come to view God, um, that, I've, that, that I grew up with a sort of malformed view of God, um, and that over time through the, the scriptures, because that's how we always find out who God is through the scriptures, um, he changed my mind and my life and the way I view God, and, and this, 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 this series is, is kind of those texts that have Help me. Last week, if you, met, you weren't here, we taught from Romans chapter 8, which I would consider the greatest chapter in all of the Bible, for real. And if you missed that, I only got to do two verses because it's so powerful. Um, please go check it out, uh, info at life point, or sorry, lifepointessay.com or our, our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, Facebook Live. You can go check it out there as well. We'd love for you to share that with your friends. I think it could be helpful. Today, I want to I go to what is probably the most famous uh, verse in all of the Bible, and teach from the chapter where this verse is found. It is for sure the most famous verse in all the Bible. John chapter 3. If you have bi- your Bible with you, go grab that real quick. Open it up to there. That's, that's the, really the only place we're going to kind of hang out today. Um, and if not, you can get it on your phone, your, the Bible app. Please, man, we love the Word of God. And we want, we want to encourage you to get into the Word of God. John chapter 3. There's a conversation that happens in this, this, this text between a, a guy named Nicodemus and, of course, Jesus. And before I get into that, because I would encourage you, if you're not a person that's familiar with the Scriptures or not, you don't know Jesus, and you're kind of wanting to know, what, what should I read? I don't know how to read the Bible. I would always challenge you to go to John first. He's got, a, he's got the Gospel of John, and then he's got three letters, John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, um, and read those. I think you'll get the clearest picture of who Jesus is from those, those places um, John is Jesus' nearest and dearest friend. And at the point of this writing, there are 12 disciples. All of them are dead except John. He is the last living apostle when he's writing this. He was an eyewitness to the, the, the teachings, the, the sayings, the doings, the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, he's writing down what he saw with his own eyes, what he heard with his own ears, uh, as a very close and trusted friend of Jesus himself. Now, John tends to record in his writings a lot of how Jesus interacted with individual people. He's different. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just for those of you who don't know much about the text. These are called the synoptic gospels. They're very similar in terms of how they're written, in terms of of what they detail. John is just completely other than. It's different. And John has this eternal and sort of panoramic scope of Jesus that I would say the other guys don't quite have in the same way that John does. And yet, when he writes this, he writes this from the perspective of, hey, I want you to, I want you to observe the interactions that Jesus had one-on-one with people like Nicodemus, uh, like John the baptizer, um, like, like uh, uh, the woman at the well, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, these, these very personal, these very sort of grace encounters that Jesus has with individual people. And I bring that up because a lot of us will come to faith having this construct of God that he's far away, he's impersonal, he's mad, whatever it is that we've sort of picked up along the way. 
and, and, and that he's too busy, got too many important things to do to know about my stuff. And I think that John wants us to, to, to be ensured in such a way that we know after reading his writings that we serve a very, very personal God who, who loves us, who knows us, and who is deeply acquainted with all of the things that we go through. Um, he knows it, he feels it, he senses it, and I think John wants us to know that by the way he writes. And so in this text, we have this conversation between him and Nicodemus. John 3, verse 1, here we go. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Um, just so you know what this means, a, a Pharisee is a deeply religious person. Here's what we know about Nicodemus just from this one word. He is very religious. He is politically active. He is educated. He is financially secure. He is a very respected person within his community, within his nation. And for his day, Nicodemus would have been the kind of person who had sort of everything that his world had to offer. Um, but frankly, he was lost. He was deeply religious, but I would say he was unsaved. Um, and Jesus wants to help him understand how it is that God works. He knows how God did work. Now with Jesus, there's a new way that God's at work. So Nicodemus comes to speak with Jesus. Verse 2, he came to Jesus at night, probably because Jesus and, and the Pharisees, his, his religious sect, we're at odds with one another. And so, real quickly, Nicodemus is not only a Pharisee, but he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, which is part of the Sanhedrin. It's a thing called the Sanhedrin. And, and the Sanhedrin were 70 elders within the community who, who sort of governed the, 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 the nation under the construct of, of Rome. Um, so he, he's all of this. And so he says he came at night and said, Rabbi, he came at night because he, he didn't want to be probably seen with Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. So he's given him tremendous respect right out of the gate. For, for nobody could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. In other words, what, what, what Nicodemus is, Nicodemus is a teacher. He has pupils, he has students, he, he teaches in the synagogues. Um, and he's like, I tell people about miracles, but you actually do them. Now realize with me that at the time of this writing, until Jesus has come on the scene, the nation of Israel has been in a period what they, what they call the silent years. There is no prophets talking. There is, no, there is nobody speaking, saying, here, thus saith the Lord God. This is what God is saying. Nobody's doing miracles. And then Jesus comes, and Jesus, because he is God, starts to do incredible things. And, 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 and like Nicodemus is like, like, no question that you are on a, like, like I talk about miracles. You, you're in a how never level. Know what I'm saying? Like, we're right here, and then you are on a how can I say it again? Never level. All right? Anyways. So God's with you. We see the power of God demonstrating your teaching. Things happen. You have authority that we don't have. Lives change. God shows up when you, when you speak. That's what's happening. And the thing is, is what Jesus is going to say to Nicodemus, which Nicodemus is going to have a very hard time understanding, it's not very complicated. It's certainly not for a, a, a man of Nicodemus's educational religious strata. He's unpacked far more complex theological issues than this. But to the extent that he's got so much of the, of the Old Testament memorized, uh, he knows it verse by verse, he knows it word by word, uh, and he struggles, he trips over the easy stuff that Jesus is going to unpack to him. And by the way, these verses are, mm, um, can I just kind of, they're going to maybe seem boring to you to read, but can I try to make them not be boring? Is that okay? Can I try to do that? Uh, so let's try it. Let's just give it a shot. And some of you may go, it's still boring, but, but check it out. Verse 3. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Right? When, when Jesus says, I'm, I'm, 
very truly I tell you, what he's saying is, I'm, trying to, I'm telling you the truth. The truth that I'm going to tell you might be at odds with what you know, with what the culture says, but I am going to tell you the truth. And the reason he says this, and he does this over and over again through John's gospel, I'm telling you the truth, I'm telling you the truth, I'm telling you, it's because the world is filled with lies and liars, right? We know that, right? We know that. And Jesus, and matter of fact, Jesus would later on say, and, and Satan is the father of lies, and, the, and, the, and his native language is, a, is lying. That, 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 that's his language. He speaks in lies, right? And so Jesus tells Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, and then this great statement, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is, quote, born again. So the kingdom, what is that? Well, the kingdom, as I understand it, and, and, and I could make it a deeper picture, but I want to just give you a clear picture, is nothing more than the king and where the king reigns. You, you, you remember the stories from your childhood. You remember that you've seen movies about kings and kingdoms. It's a place where God is at work. Da Dallas Willard says it's the, it's the range of his effective will. Like, wherever he decides something is going to happen, that's where it happens. If he makes an issue, a decree, it, as far as that goes, that's his kingdom, and we know that God's kingdom is without end. Right? It doesn't end. It, there's no limits to it. And so, bottom line, Nicodemus, it's about God's kingdom. And he says that here the kingdom of God is seen by those who are born again. Now, in our culture, because of the abuse of authority in our world and, and, and the people who are in authority and in power, and we've seen them abuse it, so we're, we, we push back against authority like, like a king, like a kingdom. But what if, what if, that, king, what if that king was your father? And what if that king, your father, loved you like you love your kids? How awesome would that king be? And oh, by the way, that king is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Like this king is on a how never level. Know what I'm saying? Like what if, so, and, and he says, look, it, for, for you to experience that, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Now, the way I understand born again, again, just as a simple way of saying it, is just simply starting over, right? A point in life where you realize, all of my best efforts, all of the things that I've tried to do to sort of save myself have not worked, and I'm going to go start over again. And the language we use here at LifePoint is a fresh start. We're making a fresh start. So, Nicodemus, you've learned a lot, you know a lot, you've done a lot, but you're going to have to start over if you're going to be, if you're going to see the kingdom of God. You're going to have to, with humility, take your life and go, this isn't working. Like, some of us are older and we'll, we'll be able to relate to this. Some of you have no idea. A anybody know Etch-a-Sketch? Etch-a-Sketch? couple of you do, right? You know, it's one of those things where you twist some knobs and, and you realize after a while, I can only draw a square or a rectangle. <laughs> and you have these pictures of drawing, you know, like maybe if I draw them together, I can draw a circle. No, you can't. You can't do it. And then eventually, you're, the picture that you want to create, it doesn't happen unless you're trying to draw a rectangle. You know what I'm saying? And vertical rectangles and hor it's just squares and rectangles. That's all you can draw. In, in Mississippi, they call these things iPads. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sorry if you're from Mississippi. Anyways. <laughs> I worked there for a while. It's kind of true. Anyways, um, <laughs> that life is just us twisting knobs and, 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 and twisting knobs and trying to draw a picture that we see in our head but almost never, never getting there and it never turns out the way we envision it. And then you meet Jesus and he, he, he gives you a fresh start. He shakes it and, and he starts it over and he begins to draw the picture and draw the story of your life. And, and he's telling Nicodemus, this is what's going to have to happen if, if you're going to see the kingdom. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about, born again? Verse 4. How can somebody be born when they are old, Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus is like, well, look, so like, what you're saying is if I want to see the king in the kingdom, I have to climb back in my mother's, my, my mother's womb. She's going to hate that. 
she worked so hard to get me out 50 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's going to create all sorts of biological and psychological damage if I come back to my mom and like, hey, we got to do this. You know what I'm saying? Come on, you know what I'm saying? It's like, he's like, what? how can it be? And so Jesus says in verse 5, he's working hard to help Nicodemus stop stumbling over the easy stuff. He says, look, truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born, not, not just again, but of, of water and, and the Spirit. And, and he's, work, he's hustling here to get Nicodemus to understand this basic thing. He's taking it a layer deeper. The, fir, the first effort didn't work. So he's going for, there's a physical birth and there's a spiritual birth. And nobody's going to go into the kingdom without a spiritual birth. Now, let, let me get sidetracked to, to, to say what is implicit in the text. If you are a Christian, you have experienced a complete and total miracle, your salvation, Right? Like, you, the Bible would say you were dead to God and now, and alive to sin, and now you are dead to sin and alive to God, that, that the enemy, Satan, was your father, and now God is your father, that judgment was your destiny, but now forgiveness and grace and heaven is, is there for you and given to you, that you were, you were at the enmity or the enemy of God, and now you are children of God who he loves so much that he lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. You were born to be eternally separated from God, and now you are, you are, you are made eternally present with God. You went from death to, to life, and it was a miracle that God did for you that the Spirit of God came. He opened your blind eyes. He convicted you of your sin. He, he, he helped you to see the truth. He opened your mind to, to the realization of who Jesus is, and he gave you the ability to put faith in Christ and, and he changed your life and he changed your name and he changed your destiny. You went from this to that and, and, and all of this is the miracle of God of being born of the Spirit. That's what he's saying. That's what's implicit here. And this is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Verse six, flesh gives birth to flesh but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. The Spirit is who does the work of making us brand new creations. Flesh gives birth to flesh. He's saying, Nicodemus, just because you were born into a deeply religious Jewish family, doesn't mean anything, right? Doesn't mean that you're part of the kingdom of God. And I would say the same thing to all of us, just because, because here's what we do. When we ask people, hey, what's the gospel? People say, um, well, I've been a Christian my whole life. Well, in fact, you weren't. The Bible says you were born and shaped in sin and iniquity. So you weren't born a Christian, right? You were actually born, the Bible says, and we're like, not my baby. Wait till they get two. Come on, somebody. They, the, the evil comes out. Some of them, it's like one. You know what I'm saying? You're like, who possessed that child? Right? Come on, you know what I'm saying? Like, this, this is in us. This is, I don't care. What, in other words, I don't care what family you were born into, Nicodemus. I don't care that you know all this text. Listen, it's the Spirit of God that's, that does all of this. And without the Spirit of God, you cannot be born again. That's what he's saying. Spiritually, he says, flesh does not give birth to eternal life. You must be born again. It's not enough to be born into this world, into a good family or into a good church. The Spirit is, the, is who does the work. The Spirit of God comes in, does this miracle that I just described for you. And then he says this in verse 7. You, you shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Like, now let me, let me understand, let me help you understand this. When you read this text, this is just a summary. This would have been a probably hours-long conversation that John just summarizes for our benefit. This wasn't a three-minute conversation. This was probably maybe last deep into the night. And, and, and so Jesus is getting a little bit frustrated. Like, bro, you're the teacher. That's what he calls him. And you don't understand this? Like, you, you're the, the guy. You're the, the man. You're the teacher. You can't understand that this is the way that God works, that God does a miracle, that he changes people's lives, causes them to be new creations. You shouldn't be surprised to, uh, by this, Nicodemus, but it's brand new 
to Nicodemus. We'll, we'll get into that. Verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from. Meaning, like when you go outside, you see the trees blowing. You know what's causing them to move, but you can't see it. You only see the effects of it. There's movement. There's change. There's, like, every, every five seconds at my house, I blow off my back porch right now, and then five seconds later, the wind blows, like, one bit, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, Savior God, I got a thousand leaves on my, my back porch again. Anybody know what I'm saying right now? Yellow stuff falls out. I can't see the wind moving. I can only see the effects of it. And things happen. Things move. Things change. And this is what he's getting at. Right? He compares God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the wind. Because like, he just said, hey, you can't enter the kingdom of God without the, without, without the Holy Spirit doing work in, in your life. Like, if you've ever flown for a bit, have you ever noticed that when you fly to a place, round trip, you fly back, on the way over there, maybe it was two hours, and on the way, over, way back, it was two hours and 45 minutes? What's the difference? It's the wind. It's the wind. On one of the ways over, the wind's at, in your face, and you're fighting, and you're spending energy, and, and you're, you're spending fuel. On the way back, you got a tailwind, and it's much easier. It's not, that, it's not without complications. It's not that you won't have some turbulence. It's just that you're going to get there faster, quicker. And, and so anybody who says yes to God, I want to obey your will. I want to read the word of God. I want to be in the jet stream of your spirit, God. There's going to be a tailwind at your back. It's not going to be without struggles and hardships. It's just going to be easier when you say yes to God. I want your spirit blowing at my back. And this is what's happening. And so Jesus says, this is how it is with everyone who's born again of the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God in you is in you, there's going to be change. There's going to be life. God is blowing through. His force, His power, His authority, His presence is seen. And here's where it's seen in the transformation of your life. In, in other words, listen, and I would argue to those, well, I, back in the day I raised my hand at that fifth grade camp. Listen, if your life wasn't changed, you just raised your hand. Like, got one amen, that's okay. But, but listen, the, the way that we know that the Spirit of God has made us new is there's change in our lives. And if there is no change, I would argue there has been no Spirit of God blowing in your life. And so Nicodemus is like, how can this be? Verse 9, how can this be? Right, this is big. Nicodemus is going, I'm hearing what you're saying, Jesus, but I'm wondering what my part is in all of this. Because all you've said up till now is, God's doing it. There's the Spirit of God's doing things. He's been told, Nicodemus has been told his whole life, as some of you have, as definitely I was growing up all the way up into my early 30s, literally. It's about what you do, Danny. It's about your efforts. It's about the fact that you obey the rules. It's about you get it all right, right? Th this is how it happens. Yes, it's grace, but it's also, plus you gotta follow all these rules, right? Which, by the way, the book of Galatians writes to denounce that whole idea. But anyways, that's a whole other topic, right? He he's been told his whole life that it's what you do that matters. You have to earn it. You have to work it out. You, you, you. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. I wanna, I wanna flip the script on you some. And, and I'm gonna skip some verses for the sake of time. Verse 13 this is a verse that I didn't really understand until not that long ago, to be honest with you. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And here's what I think this verse is saying. I think Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus. He's going another layer deeper because he said, you got to be born again. Oh, really? Okay, well, you didn't get that? Well, you got to be born again of water and spirit. Oh, oh no? Oh, let, me, let me try this tactic, right? Because like, Nicodemus is going... But mind blown, how can this be? And I think what Jesus is doing here is he's explaining to Nicodemus these two worldviews, these two ideologies. It's the one that, that, that Nicodemus knows and the one that Jesus is bringing on the scene with his arrival. It's ascended and it's descended. That's what's implicit in the text right here. So there's this God in heaven 
who is holy, who is perfect, who is righteous. And then, how many of you know there's us on earth, right? And, and, and if you've seen your own children, and we love them, they're not perfect, they're not holy, and, and oh, by the way, they would go, and neither are you, mom and dad. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Especially not you, dad. You know, you know what I'm saying? Right, and, except for me, of course. Yeah, I'm just kidding. That's not how it is. Anyways, um, so there's this, there's this gap, there's this gulf, there's this void between us and God. He's holy, he's righteous, he's perfect, I'm not. How do I get there? And so what religion would teach us, what, 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 what Nicodemus is understanding is it's, I'm going, to, I'm going to build my way up to God on, on, a, on a ladder, on a, on a column of good works, of good deeds, of righteous living. I'm going to climb up there to, I'm going I'm to clo- ascend to God by my own, my own effort. And almost all, of, all, all religions, including sometimes Christianity when it's malformed, involves people trying to, with their good works, their efforts to ascend. How do we go up to God? We work our way up there. We do good stuff. We pray the right things. We give the right amount of money. And every religion, in some form or fashion, teaches us how to ascend, right? Karma, you know, um, good works, um, paying off all your debts, and make sure that, the, and, and, and what, what is understood is that make sure your pile of good works is bigger than your pile of bad works. And some of you are like, oh, no. I'm in, I'm in, like, it's, it's not a thing, so it's okay, right? It's not a thing, right? And, and, if you, and if it outweighs at the end of your life, then you get to go be with God. Good people go to heaven, bad people don't, and that's how you be with God forever, right? That's sort of religion. Nicodemus lives in this world where you obey all the rules, you go to the synagogue, you give some money, you memorize the text, you do good stuff, and then God loves you. And you earn it, and you work for it, and you accomplish it, and he's like, so... How can what you're saying be true? Because you have still not told me what I've got, what I got to do, right? You're, you're making it sound like the kingdom of God and how you access it is something that God does solely. Like, I, I mean, surely that can't be right. Surely it can't be that God, by his spirit, fixes us and God heals us and God teaches us and his, his spirit blows through us and glory be to God. I mean, how can that be? Because at this point in, in Nicodemus' life, his entire identity is based on what he does for God and how people see him as a result. And now Jesus is going, yeah, about, about your identity, it's not good. Just, I'm, I'm just flicking it off, you know what I'm saying? Right? It's, it's not good, right? And Nicodemus is blinded by religion with all of its rules and regulations and, 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 and rigidity, and, and he just can't grasp the simplicity of what Jesus is offering to him. He's been working for his salvation his entire life. It's all he's known. And so Jesus saying something so simple is actually confounding him. It feels wrong because it's taking all of his effort out of the picture. He's been on the self-improvement plan his entire life. God's saying it doesn't matter. It's flesh doesn't birth spirit. Spirit births spirit. That's how you enter. And so, but, but Nicodemus is like, no, no, no. I ascend to God by following all the rules. And I ascend to God by making sure my pile of good outweighs the pile of bad. But here's the issue is how do you know when you've done enough? How, how do you know if the pile of good outweighs the pile of bad? If it's works, if it's religion, how do I know? I, I met a woman several years ago, I preached this gospel. 
And at the end of it, she came to me, and I knew she, had a, she grew up the way I did, and I knew she had the sense of, and I thought she was going to come and go, oh, why are you telling people about grace like this? And she came to me crying, and she said, I've lived my whole life never knowing if I'm saved. I had to go to therapy, she said, because I can't, I just realized, how will I ever know I've done enough? And that's the age-old question of religion. How will I know if I've ever done enough? That's, that's ascend. This is what Jesus is getting at. This is what I think. The, the other option is Jesus. There's descend. Jesus says nobody ascends, nobody can ascend except the one who descended. And that's Jesus, right? That he came from heaven to earth. That Jesus, what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is that we don't get to go up to God but that God comes down to us. The prophet Isaiah says, and you're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God came near. God came down. Jesus left the splendor of heaven to come and make his home on earth. He traded a scene where angels were crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty to crucify, crucify, crucify him. How many of you would have skipped that flight, right? You would have skipped that flight. Like, I don't want to take that flight. But, but this is what Jesus, and, and Jesus, is, uh, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that when you couldn't get to God, Nicodemus, in spite of all your best efforts, God came to you. And that's the gospel, right? And, and, and Nicodemus is struggling, and, and, and he can't understand this, and he can't conceive of it. And Jesus realizes that, that, that religion is getting in the way of Nicodemus being able to understand the simplest. So he draws to mind, to Nicodemus' mind, a story that Nicodemus would know backwards and forward because he knows the Old Testament. Something that, like he's going to go to a, a story that happened to, to bring it to full focus. And he says in verse 14, all right, Nicodemus, let's try this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's talking about himself. Verse 15, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, what Jesus is referencing here in verse 14 is a story that happens in Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Just to, just to give you a quick context, the, the children of Israel have gone out of Egypt. They've been slaves for over 400 years. They cross over the Red Sea. Moses, you know, you remember the story? Even if you don't know the Bible, you've seen, you know, Charlton Heston, you know, with his, I don't know. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so they, they're out there. They're in the wilderness, and they're wandering around. They begin to, to murmur. They begin to complain. They begin to whine. They're, they're, they're making it hard for Moses to kind of get them to the promised land. Matter of fact, they whine, and they, they did so much that God's like, forget it. Y'all wander around here for a whole generation until all the bad people have died off, like, Merciful God. Anyways, and then uh, uh, all, the, all the kids will go through, right? E even Moses can't go in. But there's this scene where God's like, you know what? I got to teach these people a lesson. And they're out in the wilderness. They're, out, they're in South Texas. And right, and like, like, like just past Castorville, in between Castorville and Hondo. Is that the next place? They're out there. And there's a lot of snakes out there. How many of you have ever gone hunting out there? There's like a snake every other foot, right? And so these snakes come out. They start biting people. People are dying. The people are freaking out. They go back to Moses. Hey, talk to God and, and, and tell him to provide a remedy. We need a remedy for this situation. We're getting bit. We're dying. So, so imagine you walk into your tent. You're out in the wilderness in Hondo, and, 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 and you reach in to grab a bag, you know, and, and, and a snake grabs onto you. And now you're like, oh, dear God, what am I going to do? Well, here's the thing. God gives a remedy. 
says, Moses, hey, listen, I want you to go fashion out of bronze a, a, a serpent. I want you to put it up on a pole, and I want you to tell the people if they get bit, all I want them to do is to come out of their tent, come out of wherever they've been bit, and I want them to come, and I want them to look on that, that serpent on that pole. Now, question, will the serpent heal them? No. No, of course it won't. What will heal them is trust, faith in what God said through Moses, the word of God. Listen, if you get bit and you don't want to die, there's only one remedy. You're going to have to go with faith and look on that serpent. And when you do, you're going to be healed. So when, when, when you are bit, right, you can either go on a self-fixed plan, I'm going to solve it myself, or you can take the remedy that God has provided you. This is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. And you can look up, right? So, so this is what happens, right? And, 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 and you got to, in other words, you got to trust that what God said through the man of God, through Moses is true. You have to look up. And when you do that, when you look up, you're going to be healed. Now, just give me one second to explain this a little bit further. John 6, this is a couple chapters later, verse 40. This is what Jesus is saying to a group of disciples that are listening to him, many of whom get offended by what he goes on to say, and they leave. But right here he says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, look at, look at me now, who looks on the Son and what? And believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise that person up on the last day. And Jesus is now making this parallel to Nicodemus so that Nicodemus can't miss this. You know what, Nicodemus? Do you remember in Numbers 21 when Moses lifted up the serpent and people who had been bit could look on that and, and be healed physically? This is exactly whoever looks at Jesus like that in faith, in trust. They will be healed spiritually in the same way those people were healed physically. And it's such a strange thing, a snake on a pole. Because looking at a snake wouldn't seem like the thing that would heal me. Snakes kill, come on, y'all, and they don't heal, generally speaking, right? And in the same way, when you look at, at, at Jesus hanging on a cross, suffering, bleeding, weeping, dying, those disciples wouldn't have looked at him and go, hey, there's my victory, there's my healing, there's my deliverer, there's my rescuer, there's my hope, but there he was, and that's what, exactly what he was to them. This is why we love the cross. This is why we proclaim the message of the cross. We believe that the cro on the cross, Jesus took our place. We believe that he paid our penalty. We believe that he endured the wrath of God, which was stored up for all of humanity. He suffered and died for our sins and our place with his death on the cross. So we, what Jesus says to Nicodemus is, you don't go up, Nicodemus. You have to just simply look up. It's as simple as that. And it's all coming down to trust, faith. I want you to remember what that looked like. Picture in your mind for just a moment, Jesus before Pilate on trial, it's a kangaroo court. There's no justice there. There's no truth being told there except the words Jesus says. And they scourge him. They, they, they beat him on his back. And they press a crown of thorns into his head. And then they give him this entire, this heavy cross to walk up the Via Della Rosa to, to, to the cross of Cal, to, to, to Calvary, Golgotha's Hill. And along the way, he's, it's so, so weak is he that he can't carry it anymore. And they, they, they give another man the, the, the right to carry it, Joseph of Arimathea. But on that cross, up on that hill, they get him there. The crowds are screaming out, crucify him. They lay him down on that cross. They tie his hands and his feet to those side beams. They tie, they tie his feet to that vertical bar, and then they nail. They nail his hands, and they nail his feet to that cross. And then they take that cross, and they pick it up 
pick it up. They pick it up. And they put him up and they hang him there. And he's there. Dying. Bleeding out. Struggling for very breath and life. Why? So, so that anyone who would look at that cross in the same way that Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, anybody who would look to that, that act of love, that sacrifice like no other in human history, that when you see that, you have to understand that he went there for you. He went there for me, that he in that moment was paying the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future, that when he says it is finished, he's saying it's done. The price has been paid, that the totality of what all we have done was placed upon Christ. And if we look upon him in authentic faith, then we can be healed and we can be saved. We are brought into a kind of right standing with God when we look to the cross and say, I believe that that one act of love can save me. I believe that that God is so powerful, so beautiful, so courageous that only he can save me, not my works, not my good deeds, not my karma. I believe in him. I trust him that if he says, if you look to me, you can be saved. That's what I believe. In that moment, Nicodemus, you are made right with God. And Jesus is not wanting Nicodemus to miss out because it's been this kind of a clinical discussion for him not to want to miss out now as he said, listen, just like Moses lifted up the serpent, so the son of man must be lifted up. But whoever believes in him will have eternal life. But, but, but Nicodemus, I want you to go beyond what you know head-wise. I want you to feel something in your heart. Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, Nicodemus, but have eternal life. We take that text and we write it out and we quote it and we know it backwards and forwards, but when it was first said, it was said to one man, Nicodemus, God loves you so very much that he gave his only son for you. And if you'll just look up, Nicodemus, you can't ascend because somebody has already descended. It's me. Look to me. Trust me. I will save you. Not your works. Not your efforts. Trust me and me alone for your salvation. And I want you to know I love you so much that I would die for you. Come on, somebody. That's why this is called Because I, I, I spent 30 years of my life trying to earn my way there to no avail. And when this text became, I had heard it all my life, but when I understood it in the way that I think Nicodemus would later on go to understand it, it changed everything for me. I went from every day I'm hustling, hustling, hustling <laughs> to, oh, somebody hustled on my behalf. And I can just go, Jesus, would you come live in my life? Jesus, would you come be the forgiver of my sins? I trust you. I know now that I can't get to where God is, but God loved me so much that you came to where I was. Wow. Wow. I, I want to give you a chance to respond to that. Would you, would you maybe just close your eyes for a moment? Maybe just even open your hands a little bit. Maybe you didn't know 
that this is how this worked. Maybe you grew up in a kind of religious context that said, yeah, yeah, that plus all of this. And it's not that we don't do good works, and it's not that we don't do great things for God. It's that we do them not, not to get saved, but because we are saved. And there's a difference there. I'm not working for God's approval. I'm working from God's approval. And that's who you are today. Lord Jesus, many of us here here for the first time hearing this message, and maybe we've never heard it like this, the simplicity of this. And God, we just want to respond to it. Lord, those of us maybe who've walked away from this because we just, we didn't get religion growing up or we were, we were scared of it or we were afraid of you, God, because of how you were presented and we were like, I, I don't want anything to do. If that's who it is and if that's what it looks like, I don't want anything to do with it. But maybe we're here today, God, and you, you brought us here today for this, this moment to say yes to you, Lord. To, to look up. God, come live in me. God, be the giver of my sins. Be, be, be the Lord of my life. God, I believe that you died. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you've come to set me free, to give me new life. And I received that this morning. And I just wonder, while nobody's looking around, would you just, if that's you today, would you just slip up your hands? Would you just slip up your hands? If you prayed that along with me in any way, shape, or form, would you just slip up your hands? Yeah, thank you. Keep them up just for a second. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So many hands. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. I see you in the back back there. Thank you. Hey, LifePoint, could we celebrate along with, Jesus says, the angels, those of us who just made that decision, made that confession. Amen. Amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.